Hello, and welcome to the Code of Ethical Conduct for Agile Coaching series, hosted by the Women in Agile podcast. I'm your host, Renee Craven, and this episode features guests Leslie Morse and Shane Hasty. Shane is co-chair of the Agile Alliance Agile Coaching Ethics Initiative, working to produce a Code of Ethical Conduct for Agile Coaching. Shane is the global delivery lead for SoftEd and Skills. He leads the culture and methods editorial team for InfoQ.com, where he hosts the weekly InfoQ Culture Podcast. He is an ICF registered professional coach. Leslie Morse is the president of womeninagile.org and serves as a product owner for Scrum.org. She has been involved with Women in Agile since its original inception at the Scrum Gathering in Las Vegas in 2013. This is the first episode in the Code of Ethical Conduct for Agile Coaching series. The idea for this series was born a little over a year ago with the purpose to raise awareness to the Code of Ethics. Throughout this series, an episode will be dedicated to a section of the Code where contributors to the Code share their perspectives and experiences that helped in both the creation of the Code as well as the guidance the Code gives them in their Agile Coaching roles. We hope you enjoy this episode and this 11-part series. Hello, welcome. Welcome, Leslie. Welcome, Shane. How are you both today? I'm great. It's yeah, nice to be good. on this side of the chair. <laughs> <laughs> Makes a pleasant change for me too. Yes, yes. And I hear you both had a, a wonderful time at Agile 2023 and there was lots of catch-ups around our topic today. Oh, yeah. It was, it was fantastic to be in person with the community again. And yes, we had some great conversations on the Code of Ethical Conduct. Mm. Yeah, I wasn't in a couple of the ones that I've heard about and really regret not being able to be there, but I also had some of my own more small group conversations. So it's nice to hear how the work that got this initiative started is still like alive and living the idea of an inspect and adapt cycle for what we can do to continue to improve it. So I'm excited to unpack the origin story and everything of it today. Yeah, uh, that is a great segue, Leslie. Thank you. Tell me the story of the Code of Ethical uh, Conduct for Agile Coaching. How did it begin? Oof. How did it begin? <laughs> as with many things in the Agile community, this one started as a... A conversation late at night at an Agile conference when a group of Agile coaches got together and we were complaining. We uh, were bemoaning the, the state of ethics. Uh, a number of us had recently seen some behavior that we thought was particularly unethical. Um, a few of us at the table, uh, the, and I can't remember everyone there, that was there, uh, but Craig Smith and myself were definitely there. And, and we, uh, one, were aware that other coaching professions have code of ethics um, and that there wasn't anything for agile coaching. And also that we had seen behavior that we really felt was not good. And you know, late at night, too much alcohol. How do we solve this? What can we do? Um, Craig and myself were both 
Uh, I had been on the board of the Agile Alliance. Craig was on the board at the time. So we were both very familiar with the Agile Alliance's uh, initiatives mechanism, which is how the work of the Alliance gets done in the world. Members volunteer to, to carry initiatives forward. So we thought this would be a sensible place to put something about could we define uh, what good Agile coaching is? And we put this forward as a, as a member initiative to the Alliance. It was accepted. And then we had to find volunteers. And yeah. we ended up with a group of 30-something people. Leslie, you were one of those. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, by the time I got connected as a volunteer, there was something like 30 or 35 people, I think, um, but I, I'm actually kind of curious, how long did it take to get that whole group together? Oof. Right. So the first conversation was at Agile 2018. The initiative itself, Craig and I um, socialized it within our networks, um, but the initiative itself was probably six months before it was formalized. And at that point, we had reached out to um, probably half a dozen to a dozen people, and we were asking them. So there was a very um, cascading network effect. Um, but when we when we formally started the work, we had a list of 30 people, 30, 31, 32 people who were interested enough to give us some time. Yeah. And I think and one of the important that's things all it that, was. Yeah, one of those important things that y'all did at that phase was reach out to the kind of big certifying and professional services orgs in our industry, like Scrum Alliance and Scaled Agile and IC Agile and I think even Agile Business Consortium and Scrum.org and all of these things. And that was ultimately yep. how I got connected to it because the Scrum.org CEO, Dave West, was sort of connected and yeah. as the, at that point, the only person on staff at Scrum.org that had any coaching background whatsoever, he's like, Leslie should be that person. <laughs> so <laughs> it was a glorious moment of being voluntold and <laughs> graciously accepting because like you do have to have understanding and appreciation of not only, I think the origins of professional coaching as it pertains to how our Agile community has learned about the topic of coaching, but also the complexities of working in the space of Agile coaching in our industry, which is harder than it should be. And I think ethics is a great way to help reduce some of that confusion and tension that a lot of us experience. Yeah, the... Engaging with those with, with the, the big organizations was a very, very deliberate step um, as early as possible. And that was part of the reason why we wanted to do it under the umbrella of the Agile Alliance, the big tent. The, the, that's how the, the Alliance holds itself. They stay um, separate from any of the certifications. But by bringing them in, bringing the uh, bringing as many of the big organizations as we could. And we had representation, as you say, from mm -hmm. uh, Scrum Alliance, Scrum.org, uh, IC Agile, 
Um, there were a couple of safe fellows on the list initially. Um, the Agile Business Consortium, um, we had, uh, not at the beginning, but we had the PMI involved a little mm -hmm. bit. So with, with, with dad. So the, the trying to be, to be truly inclusive. Um, and it, it, it was wonderful. The, the interaction on those working sessions was absolutely amazing. And, um, the positive intent that everyone brought to the, to the sessions was, was just a wonderful experience. Yeah. There's this, happy Orsk, to, I would say there's this Orsk concept for organization relationship systems coaching around like doing alignment and you've got to put the issue out front. And while we didn't, I never felt us, um, getting coachy with each other during those working sessions, but there was definitely sometimes struggles around like we can't all facilitate ourselves. So, but, but what we did manage to skillfully do was when we felt tension and conflict around, like, what do we really mean by this? We were always able to keep that issue of the greater intent and the greater purpose of bringing alignment and unity. And for me, really upping the professionalism of agile coaching, like we were able to keep that out in front. And I think that helped us work through the disagreements of like, what should and should not be in the code is commitments, what are and what are not examples um, in terms of the scenarios around the different commitments. But there were people waking up at all crazy hours of the day and or night because we basically, it was something like every three or four weeks, we'd try to have a working session and there'd be like two a day, one on each side of the globe. Um, so if you were really ambitious, you could participate twice in one day. Um, and I never did that, but the, it, it did work pretty well. The iterative nature of collaborating through the Google doc and fleshing it all out and coming up with the code that was finally released in what was, when did we eventually release version one? I'm looking. Version one would have been 2020. Yeah. And then March, 2022 was, was the latest update. Was the latest, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, so two yeah, two year years process. to get to get to the to the first version. Mm. Um, the you know, the first question we actually asked ourselves as a group was, "Do we need this?" Um, one, do we does the profession need it? And I think we all came to a conclusion, yes, it does. But the second was, a number of us were already aligned with the uh, the ICF, International Coach Federation. So we understood the ICF Code of Ethical Conduct. So, so there was a, a, a serious conversation quite early on about why don't we just tell every Agile coach to join the ICF? But then we explored deeply the ICF Code of Ethical Conduct and the, the stance of the professional coach in the ICF world is absolutely neutral to content. Whereas the agile coach does bring a positive bias towards agility. So given that, we felt we couldn't just say, go and join the ICF. There was something to be done here. And then we had the a, a long period of research where we were looking at other codes of ethics that were out there, 
Um, how many of them could we, could apply? What? How could we be inspired by? And and we were very inspired by a lot that was out there. We looked at um, the Institute of Facilitators, the IAF. We looked, of course, the ICF. We looked at um, the teaching profession in different countries. Um, one of the volunteers, Jeff, from who represented the Agile Business Consortium, is in fact a a licensed therapist, and he took us through a lot of his code of, of, of ethics and conduct. So, and and now I blank on her name. But one of the one of the ladies on the team, she held us to account beautifully because she teaches as a part-time thing. She teaches ethics to seven-year-olds in the classroom. And Leslie, can you remember her name? I cannot remember her name right now either, but I remember her uh, reflecting things that were important for us to hear and, and think about. I think part of the, the hard part about this is sort of what you were alluding to, Shane, in that um, agile coaching is not professional coaching. It incorporates aspects of professional coaching and it is more than just coaching. It is, there are so many different sort of stances and lenses you apply to the work of agile coaching that it has to be able to honor all of that variability, um, as well as the fact that you'll notice it is not a code of ethical conduct for agile coaches, but it is for agile coaching because many, many humans, regardless of their accountabilities, their job title, their role description, or whatever else you might want to call it, engage in the act of agile coaching. And I think that's actually probably one of the most transformational conversations that can happen when you're introducing this topic to people, because it's not just for people that call themselves or identify as an agile coach. It's much broader for us as Agilists. It is indeed. And I found her name. It's Sarah Scold. <laughs> ah, Sarah. We speak to uh, Sarah in one of our episodes when we deep dive into the sections of the code. Uh, how would you describe your role in the putting this together, Shane? <sighs> Herder of cats? <laughs> <laughs> Craig and myself were the initial chairs, um, and then Alex slowly joined us. So, so we have a triumvirate to 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 hold the space, and and I very much wanted to be holding the space, not guiding the the conversation, and and that's how it worked. It's um, we once we had figured out yes we wanted this we we had a, a number of iteration passes where we would okay what could come some of the key topics be and we we roughly got down to the nine and then we looked at okay for each of these what would one or two bullet points be and we would debate all for an hour over the wording of one sentence sometimes for 30 minutes on two words Trying to to be absolutely clear that one we understood, but when we when we wrote it, that it was easy to interpret and understand. 
Yeah. The Churchill, I think it's Churchill. I would have written a shorter letter if I only had the time. Like, <laughs> I, I feel like, Renee, when you reflected, us, like, oh, that took only two years to get done. And it's like... <laughs> It's because we wanted to write a short letter. It yeah. couldn't be a manifesto on agile coaching ethics. Mm. What did you do after you released the first version between version one and version two? We got a lot of feedback. Mm-hmm. Where did you source <laughs> that asked from? We feedback. Mm-hmm. We, uh, we publicized it through the Agile Alliance um, there were a number of blogs, blog posts there, and also quite a few of the contributors uh, published under their own brand and banners. You know, this is what's happening. Uh, IC Agile, I know, supported it. Uh, I, I was working for IC Agile at the time, and they were really, really supportive of it. Um, the... Uh, Alex, Alex slowly put some put some posts out. Uh, Craig put one out. Um, yeah, there were there were quite a few, and, and, and I couldn't find them all at this point. But there were quite a few uh, members of the team sharing, "Hey, this is what's happening. Give us feedback." And it was intended for give us feedback, not this is what we have done. Mm. Yeah. There was also a series of, I guess I'll call them, it's like almost a a roadshow. Different people very deliberately invited people from their networks to come and just have an open discussion. I hosted several of them um, with Sid Markle, um, as well as did a handful of them um, specifically targeted to the women in Agile community. And so just like through the ones I was involved with, probably talked to 40 or 60 people just conversationally about the code and what they thought and how it landed and and all of that. So I think between iteration one and iteration two, we we tightened the concepts, we tightened the language. Um, We also learned a lot about how different people interpret it when you are doing agile coaching as an employee within an organization with your peers versus you're a independent for hire Mm -hmm. person doing agile coaching versus I'm employed at a larger organization that then deploys me to do agile coaching with clients. (laughs) Uh, Because the, I mean, and just to kind of get really specific, like you're, it is entirely possible that a human being who works for a large consulting organization who is working for a client doing agile coaching work could be faced with an ethical conundrum that if they upheld their ethics would need to quit their job or stop working on that client. And that puts people in really, really difficult situations. So like how to protect the people's jobs and uphold ethics was one of, I think, the most convoluted, intense conversations we had during the, the development cycle. And I, I really saw, you know, Shane and Craig and Alex be the connective tissue of that. To, to Shane's point, they didn't ever weigh heavily in on the content beyond reflecting what they thought they were hearing and because not every volunteer could be at every single working session. So it's like, and let us Mm -hmm. remember what we talked about and decided last time. 
And this is what the group talked about earlier today, you know, and this is where we are now and helping kind of keep that through line of the development. So we didn't rehash topics over and over and over Mm -hmm. again, because I think once we got into that first feedback cycle in a real way, um, it was easy to want to go like back and unpack a can of worms when it's like, we made this decision for a really good reason. You know, let's not deviate from that now, or wow, that was a really bad decision we made. This is a good one to go back in and rework. Mm. And, and there was there was a lot of change between version one and version two, and that was great because the the level of engagement from people in the community was just wonderful to see that there was that that, that passion and care. And yeah, I want to call out Bob Gallen. Um, he was never one of the volunteers, but he was incredibly supportive and gave us great great feedback. Dan Mezek was another one. Yeah. Yeah. Dan, oh, he he held us <laughs> held us to account firmly. <laughs> <laughs> He did. And it was it was in in the way that we would want to be held to a high standard of work and all of this. Um, And then I think we kind of had a two point one revision around cleaning up language consistency and other things that's been like, you know, not a, a content uplift from like a feedback perspective, but it's like, oh, like we've written something, we came back another like three or four months later and looked at it with fresh eyes. And it's like, oh, that should just be written a little better. Or we've got inconsistency of language here. And just from an interpretation perspective, I think that was sort of what the the latest revision was to prep us to have a good question bank um, to go with the scrum.org quiz that's available to support the code and help people test and validate and understand and explore their knowledge and understanding of the quiz. Um, It's amazing when you go to try to write good questions that test someone's understanding of something, how it forces you to actually question how you wrote down the thing you're testing in the first place. So that was an interesting exercise to go through to to help do that because it's hard to ask a question about something when something's written sort of vaguely. So it's like, it was just, it's about tightening it up a little bit, that, mm-hmm. that last degree. Should we do a, a quick pass through of all of uh, sections in the code? Um, we will be having separate episodes for each section of the code through this series. Um, but let's just do a quick um, whip through. Um, so the first one was protect, protecting um, confidentiality, IP, and information security. So this should be just fundamental, of course. In fact, all of these should be just fundamental to, to good behavior. But one of the points I, I think we want to make is that every item in the code got in there because one or more of the people on the volunteer group had seen this principle violated. The other thing that we wanted to be very clear about is that the it shouldn't take a lot of extra learning to be able to pick up this code and just start applying it. This is, this is not a PhD in ethics. This is, here are some simple guidelines. So protect information share, shared with me, 
Um, only disclose it if there's legal reasons and when I have a clear agreement with my client and stakeholders. Uh, so the, the oh-so-common manager comes to the coach and says, hey, we've got to do some trimming of the fat in the organization. Tell me about this team. Yeah, no, sorry, no. Not without first going to the team and saying, um, folks, I've been asked to do this. Is that okay? Mm. <laughs> uh, and the other one, I will attribute others' ideas appropriately and avoid the appearance that they are mine. Just nothing wrong with sharing ideas that you got from somewhere else, but please acknowledge where you got it from. Mm. Design, design, design is the one that I think of when I think about this very first commitment as well as the second one that we'll talk about in a second. Because if you have the right, you know, designed alliances, designed coaching agreements and all of that uh, with the people you're working with, it's easy to stay in these bounds. But you have that means you have to have the conversation about what is and is not exclusive and secured within this team versus things we can and cannot share in other places. And if you don't have that conversation, you can't uphold this commitment. Mm. Uh, the second section is acting within my ability. Yeah, and that, that, like I said, I think about design, design, design here mm. too, because um, you know, we probably can do anything. We can't do everything. Um, but what you're actually skilled in and not skilled in is important to disclose, um, especially when we get into this, you know, agile coaching for hire, you know, the client wants an expert in TDD. I get staff there disclosing I'm not the expert in TDD and just being open and, and honest about what those qualifications are or are not. Um, and if you start asking me for something more than what I'm able to do, being honest about that, be like, happy to discover it together with you, but that's not my wheelhouse. And in mm -hmm. talking about all of that, and it's not just related to natural subject matter expertise. This is also where we blur up against the other like professions like, oh, this is something you should talk to a therapist about. Because mm. um, that is probably one of the lines that I've seen blurred most often. You know, somebody who does agile coaching work goes to an ICF fundamentals um, or a coactive coaching fundamentals class for a weekend. They come back and they think their world has been completely transformed. And it has. They also think that now they're able to go have life coaching conversations with their clients about their divorces and job changes and what to do with their kids that they're unhappy with. And well, one, you're not paid to do that kind of work with these people. You're paid to be there as an agile coach. Um, and, and sometimes topics come up that you're not qualified to deal with. So how do you know when this has gone above my abilities and I need to refer you to a different type of professional? Hmm. Yeah, so that's the, the self-reflection and self-awareness of, hey, what are my boundaries as well? Mm. Being, yeah. being transparent and honest yeah. with Which yourself. Is so interestingly related to the next commitment. <laughs> <laughs> Which is introspection and continuing professional development. This one we had a lot of good conversation about there. Um, the spectrum here was, wow, should we just tell every agile coach to have a supervisor and, and put in a, a supervision structure? Well, yeah, that would be lovely, but no, we can't yet. <laughs> uh, 
Um, but engaging with a peer group and mentor to explore ethical and other challenges in my agile coaching work. The, we can't tackle these things on our own. No, no person is an island. And having a peer community is incredibly valuable. And the, the second part of that, seeking to improve my self-awareness and effectiveness through introspection and professional development. You know, we, the, we should be looking to grow continually. Now, this is a drink your own Prosecco thing, right? Um, <laughs> we, we need to be growing ourselves in inspecting and adapting on our own the same way that we mm. ask it of the teams we serve. Yeah, absolutely. Um, number four was navigating conflicts of interest. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's also very tricky because what is a conflict of interest is often very determined based on your employment type. So we had to figure out how to write this one in a very inclusive way. So, right, it requires a lot of introspection to identify what may or may not be a conflict of interest. When in doubt, say that it might be, mm -hmm. um, right? So be transparent about that the moment you sniff that there might be one coming up um, and then bring it forward in your consciousness to try to avoid putting yourselves in situations where um, you're really compromised and biased in decision making. Um, like a classic example of this is, you know, uh, I'm hired here on this statement of work and I'm going to keep finding problems. So I keep getting renewed. Um, I mean, I, you know, not related to Agile, but had a situation where I worked. We had one vendor that did testing, other vendor that helped us with development. The testers got bonuses for finding defects, so they got in cahoots with the developers to put the defects there so that, I mean, like, obviously not ethical, right? But, you know, stuff like that happens. And so when you see it, you got to say something. And so when it does come up, Right. When you find yourself in those situations, like having the conversations to help resolve it and or finding a skillful way to exit yourself from that situation so that it can be resolved for all parties. Yeah, work with the client and stakeholders, seek assistant, and if necessary, suspend or end the relationship. Mm. And we in the preamble, we, we actually say, um, Anyone who embraces the code strives to act ethically, even when doing so involves making difficult decisions. Mm. They act courageously, even if there is a personal negative impact. And sometimes that can be the case. Mm. Imagine how the entire industry would be uplifted if we felt like we were all able to make those decisions anytime we needed to, with ease and without you know, big sacrifice, how much better everything would be. Mm. Um, the next one is ensuring value in the relationship. Leslie's example of, continue, you know, we'll, we'll, I'll find more opportunities. Well, yeah, only if the client's comfortable with that. It doesn't mean we can't change the relationship over time, but we're transparent about that. Um, checking with them, are you still getting value? Am I delivering value 
in this context. Now, this one can be challenging, particularly if you're an employee in an organization. But my experience is I might have taken this part of the business, this team, this group to their, a point where they don't need me, but there's still a lot more of the business out there. So it's, it's not a case of, oh, you quit your job. It's how can I add different value or add value elsewhere in the organization? Or add value um, in different ways, because maybe add you're adding value ways. not by being doing agile coaching, right? So yeah. that's another strange dynamic in all of it. Mm. Yeah. And work towards the, the, the clients, the organizations, the teams, own self-sustaining agility without creating dependencies on, on, on the coach. And being honest and open if I feel that the value is declining. Yeah. Again, hard but important. Yeah. Um, it, then, it go, before we move on to the next one, this one kind of goes back to design because you kind of can't do this unless you're really upfront at the beginning about what is value and what is success. Mm -hmm. um, right. Um, which makes me think of the agile principles, right? Our highest priority is to satisfy the customer mm -hmm. how through the early and continuous delivery of value, right? As agilists, we should be maniacally focused on the idea of value, um, not only to our customers, but to how we serve each other as practitioners and practicing having a conversation about what does value and success look like in the context of agile coaching is a whole separate discipline in podcast episode in and of itself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. The next one is upholding social responsibility, diversity, and inclusion. Yeah, this is the one that I got to collaborate most deeply with Sid Markle on. And obviously serving as president of Women in Agile and uh, being really at Agile 2023 last week where diversity was all around. Like this, this one commitment it is very alive for me. Um, and so in it, we talk about bringing in different voices, um, discouraging behavior that um, and, like eliminates discrimination, right? We, like we want to discourage behavior that is discriminating and take explicit action to eliminate discrimination in any form. Um, and then oh, there's a little bit of kind of, at least in the United States, we talk about like, you know, the Girl Scouts law or the Boy Scouts law, like I leave things better than I found them. Um, so uh, that comes from both action and inaction, right? So sometimes it's actually better not to act because things would be better um, or be better off because um, sometimes action can be damaging. So you have to think about when to and not to act there. But um, the, the keynote we had for the Women in Agile 2023 reveal um, was all about ally to accomplice. And it was centered on anti-racism, but it, I think that metaphor of ally to accomplice is really important here, especially around taking action to discourage and eliminate discrimination, because that is not a passive thing. That is um, being courageous, it's being brave, it's scaring yourself 
to have those conversations, to mention the microaggressions, to call them out, to be courageous, to correct yourself when you realized you've done one, um, and to stand up for others. And that was a really, really big theme of a lot of conversations I had at the conference last week. So like, I see more and more of our community living this commitment, even outside of just the code of ethics that we're talking about here. Yeah, this one, it was, it was hugely important to get us to get it in there. And we, we really debated how do we convey this, uh, the intent here and and Leslie, you 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 caught that so beautifully. And the I will strive to leave society better than I found it. Mm. So it's it's stepping outside of our professional roles. It's stepping outside. It's, mm. it's being a good a good human. Mm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, agreeing on boundaries. Going back to the agreement, mm. to to the coaching alliance, the coaching agreement, the coaching contract, have clarity about the scope, and if it evolves, it evolves. But be but have clarity about that evolution. Um, this is the one where Dan Mezik really really challenged us um, in terms of the invitation over imposition. I will work with my client to understand their needs and avoid imposing solutions based on my personal preferences and desires. It's what's best for the client. This one also is can be very, very challenging when you are the, uh, where there is a decree from on high, whether you're coming in as the, co- the consultant or if you're within the organization, yeah, we want to adopt blah. How do I stand up for, hey, what's right for the client? What's right for this team? Um, And we put it there, I will openly challenge when my client is pursuing purposes at odds with the Agile Manifesto's values and principles. And we did, we we called out the manifesto here because that's the foundation on which we we are building. This is agility. Yep. Um, and the next one was, or is, managing differences in status and power. Yeah, there's a, um, this is a good sister commitment to the one around diversity and equity and inclusion um, because power, privilege, and rank is often so abused in ways that result in discrimination and other people being marginalized. So we really boil this down to focus on um, not using your positional authority, power, or influence to achieve personal gain and or, or undermine the goals of the people that I'm working with. And then creating awareness of when those things are impeding my ability to serve effectively. So like there's there's some common threads that run throughout a lot of these commitments, right? Know myself, know my boundaries, understand when my motivations may be at conflict with what's best for the situation that I'm working in, um, and not gaming the system for your personal advantage. So it's it's also and and it is, I guess, the interplay of the different commitments. Um, it's important to realize like, and you call this out when you see it happening in others as well. Um, but you, at the end of the day, 
can't commit to ethics, other people behaving ethically. You can only commit to yourself behaving ethically. So like, I remember going round and round about that. So like, I do think there's an obligation for you to call it out, but you can't force other people to be ethical in this same way. Mm. Uh, The last one, the last section is responsibility to the profession. And part of this one leans into exactly what Leslie just said. I will encourage healthy dialogue and and reflection when I encounter unethical behavior in others. I can't change somebody else's behavior, but I can perhaps point them to this code of ethics. In fact, we um, explicitly state in there, I would invite others who practice agile coaching to adopt professional standards in this code of ethics. I will enhance and uplift the reputation of the agile coaching profession. So I want to, a rising tide lifts all the boats here. If we, and, and, and yeah, bringing others along on the journey. But it's an, again, it's an invitation, not an imposition. Um, spoiler alert, or maybe it's just a teaser to when we release the episode that is about the ninth commitment responsibility of the profession. I record that one live at Agile 2023 with John and Kiri. And we talk about um, the challenge in our community around this commitment when all of us have different definitions of what the Agile coaching profession is. So that is like this code of ethics is going to force us to really uplift our game in terms of consistency and alignment as an agile industry on what this work means or does not mean um, and and getting more standards in that area. So I think that is long overdue um, and we are ready to get to that that place. So um, enjoy that episode when you get to it. So that was all of the, that's all of the sections of the code. What did, Shane, what did you learn from this whole experience? (laughs) What did I learn? One, I learned that there's, that when you start delving into what does it mean to, to be ethical, that there's a, there's a lot of self-reflection. There's a lot of, um, deep work that we have to do. Um, I also learned what an amazing volunteer community there are. The the positive intent that everyone who's been involved with this has brought to the table has been wonderful. And the stepping above the um, their individual organizations or communities and just Stepping into, okay, what do we do that is is good for the profession as a whole? has just been wonderful to see. Um, and honestly, they were there. When I look back over my career, I can say, Ooh, yeah, there were some places where I didn't do this well. And I can know what I would do differently now. Mm. How about yourself, Leslie? I, um, It's, it's emotional to kind of think about it because um, I, I agree with everything Shane said and it's the human dynamic of collaborating with people on content that's as important as this um, brings to life 
the principles and the values that bind us. It's why when you go to an agile conference or a meetup group, it's like you meet all these people you've never met before, but you feel like you've known them their entire lives because, um, there's something incredibly special about the talent and the wisdom and passion and commitment that agilists who truly treat our work as a profession bring to the table. Um, and having something like this to even further unite us just inspires me for what is possible if we continue to invest in these ways over the next 5, 10, 15 years. Leslie, Shane, thank you very much for your time today and helping us understand where the code came from. And we're all looking forward to hearing uh, the episodes that deep dive into the sections. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you so much. It was good, good to be on this side of the conversation with you, Renee. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Women in Agile podcast series. It is brought to you in partnership from the Women in Agile nonprofit and Scrum.org. We hope you've learned something new and invite you to tell a friend or a co-worker about the podcast. Please go online to womeninagile.org to learn more about our initiative and find more inspiring podcast conversations.